you are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On NFL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast network at Locked On NFL Pods and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you find podcasts. This is your Monday Locked On NFL. The biggest stories, the local experts we bring in insight from around the league to break down everything that happened on this Sunday. And today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for the game no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the league of football watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watcher. It was not a list of marquee matchups for week six. This was not a schedule littered with terrific games. And frankly, we didn't get very many of them. Uh, Some of the matchups that we thought were going to be big time teams facing off against one another turned into duds. Buccaneers Packers was a blowout. Steelers Browns turned into a blowout. And one of the more exciting games 49ers Rams wasn't really close for that much of the game until really late. It did take a last second possession for the 49ers to extend their drive to not give the ball back to the Rams with a chance to go win. And I don't know what we learned in week six. I don't know if teams are separating from from the pack or if there's just going to be a lot of really weird, fluky outcomes in this season for all of the reasons we've been talking about here for weeks and weeks, whether it's COVID or the offseason, the preseason, this traveling, the fans, everything. This is just a weird season, and I think it's going to continue to provide some weird outcomes. Joe Burrow nearly pulls off the big upset against the Colts, but they're able to hang on 31-27. The Falcons blow out the Vikings in a game that wasn't even as close as the 40-23 score. The Broncos and Patriots finally play, and it's a terrible game. (laughs) But the Broncos get the win 18-12, and they're still alive. Very much alive in the AFC playoff picture. And by the way, your division leading NFC North Chicago Bears. And let's start here with our local experts. Remember, this is what we do on Monday. The biggest stories with our local experts. The reason the Bears are in first place is because they have an extra win. But they also have that loss. Well, the team ahead of them or a team that had been ahead of them was the Green Bay Packers who didn't previously have a loss. They looked like one of the best teams, if not the best team in football, at least until Sunday. It was supposed to be the marquee matchup of the weekend. Instead, after the Packers jumped out to a 10-0 lead, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hung 38 consecutive points, the most in the Aaron Rodgers era, a fitting coda in a way to the Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady rivalry such as it is. Joining me to break it all down, James Yarko from Locked on Bucks. And James, uh, you heard me on the Locked on Packers, Locked on Bucks crossover last week. And you weren't on that interview and you had some you had some thoughts for my takes. So I'm just I'm going to lay out and give you the floor because.
because you were right. And I'll say it, you were right. Well, and I I did kind of agree with your take about how you hadn't been impressed by the Tampa Bay offense. They weren't, you know. I am now. <laughs> you say they weren't living up to the offseason hype machine that we were getting from the national media. But my big takeaway was the Packers have the number one offense. Yeah, and all the talk is they have the number one offense. They protect the football. They don't turn the ball over. But then I went through and I looked at the defenses they played against. And when you're talking about total defense, you have New Orleans, who is 26th, Minnesota 28th, Detroit 29th, Atlanta 30th. So it was almost the chicken or the egg conversation that were the Packers number one because they went against such atrocious defenses or were those defenses ranked as low as they were because they went up against such a great offense? And I leaned more towards the former, that when the Packers had to go up against a more formidable defense, that that defense could create some opportunities. My bold prediction on Friday's preview show on Locked on Bucks and over at BucksNation.com was this Buccaneers defense was going to get two takeaways against this vaunted Packers offense and my, my exact quote on Locked on Bucks was, and that's what's going to turn the tide. And that's exactly what happened. Jamel Dean read that play beautifully, picked off Aaron Rodgers, took it to the house, only his third pick six of his career for Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers. And then two throws later, you have a deflection by, by Carlton Davis, falls into the hands of Mike Edwards, and all of a sudden it's a goal-to-go situation for the Buccaneers, and it turned from 10 to nothing to 14 to 10 in the blink of an eye, and that was all she wrote. The offense started clicking. Rob Gronkowski started looking like Rob Gronkowski again. Mike Evans was out there, but he wasn't really doing much. It seems when Godwin's on the field, Evans gets one or two catches, and that's about it, but he was hobbled still by that ankle injury. But Ronald Jones third consecutive 100-yard rushing game. And I had said before, if it comes down to a running game, you know, the Packers' run defense is not anywhere near what the Bucks' run defense is. So if Aaron Jones is going to help out in this game, it has to be in the passing game, and it just wasn't there for the Packers. Yeah, I guess I, if we'd have been able to have that conversation, I, I would have pointed out that there's a lot of statistical evidence that suggests defensive performance is a lot of variance and the offenses that it plays. And so the, I would have looked at it the other way and said, look, the Packers offensively offense is more sustainable. Now, of course, they were all time great coming in. I mean, they were outscoring the 2007 Patriots in points per drive. They they had an all-time EPA per play. A lot of the metrics said this offense is all-time great. So you yeah, you can say the defenses that they played weren't very good, but still they were at an all-time pace. Here's my question. Is what you saw on Sunday, because I think this is really the only thing that matters now. You see the two interceptions, Green Bay doesn't do that. Tampa Bay didn't commit a penalty. Uh they're the most penalized team in the league. Is this um, I don't want to say a fluke because I don't think it was a fluke, but is this a repeatable formula for the Buccaneers if and when these two teams meet in the playoffs? I think from a defensive standpoint, it absolutely is. Todd Bowles came in prepared to call the perfect game, and that's exactly what he did. And he did. did. He, he was awesome. He unleashed Devin White, who was all over the place, and the Bucks did this without Vita Vea in the middle, which is all the more impressive. 
Are they going to have another performance this season where they don't have a single penalty? No, probably not. It's it's so hard for an NFL team to do that, no matter how good you are. However, you saw the frustration and the anger building up in Tom Brady on that Thursday night game against Chicago. <laughs> He's ripping Ryan Jensen a new one. He's jumping all over that offensive line. That is what was hammered home, whether it was by the coaching staff or Brady or both. That was the focal point, and you see what a difference it makes when this team can play a nice, clean game. Again, penalties are going to happen. They're just part of the game. Theoretically, the Bucs did have one, but it was offset by one on the Packers. So when you go back and, and you look at the box score, no, it was zero penalties for the Buccaneers. But this team is getting in its groove, and they have been probably the, the most affected. They were even talking about it on, on NFL Network. Steve Mariucci said this Buccaneers team has been the most affected by not having OTAs, not having a full training camp, not having a preseason, because you have a quarterback who's run the same offensive system for 20 years under the same head coach. They had no ramp up. So as each week goes, this Buccaneers team is going to get stronger and better and I think if they meet in the postseason, we're going to be in for a closer game than we had on Sunday. But I think all in all, top to bottom, the Buccaneers are the better football team. Yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, it, there's there's a lot that that can go on between now and then. And, and uh, you know, of course, um, you know, the Packers play in what I think is an easier division. Uh, but when these two teams come down to it at the end, I think they're still going to be there in terms of the top teams in the NFC with Seattle, I don't even know if there's an intuitive fourth team unless you actually believe in the Bears, which, I mean, I think even as someone who, who follows the Buccaneers, you probably don't. But when you look at the landscape of this team and the landscape of the conference, is this the best team in the division at the end of the, or not in the division, is this the best team in the NFC at the end of the season? Oof, that's tough. Um, is it right now? Is it right now the best team? Right now, I will still lean no, but I would say they're okay. in the conversation. All right. Now the second question. Does, do you think this will be the best team in, at the end of the season? Because I think there's a case because of what they can do defensively that Seattle and Green Bay have just not shown the ability to be. That this is the more balanced team. It is the, it is the deeper team and, and the more complete team. I just didn't think we would see the offense be able to do. I mean, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were almost non-factors in this game, and they scored 38 points, 31 on offense. That is pretty remarkable. Now, of course, the turnovers played a big role, but still, it seems like their upside, their best, might be the best best. I would agree uh, 100% that when this, when this team is clicking, they are so talented on both sides of the ball. It should not come as any surprise if they were to be the team to emerge out of the NFC when all is said and done. Before we move on, let's talk about something that you may not want to talk about because it's not easy to talk about. In fact, it can be awkward or embarrassing to talk about erectile dysfunction. We might brush it off blame ourselves, or make excuses. You don't have to make excuses anymore. A healthy life includes a healthy sex life. But if you struggle with erectile dysfunction, 
you may not be your best self. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship you real medicine with free two-day shipping. Getting started is easy. Just go to GetRoman.com slash locked on and complete an online visit. And if you do go to GetRoman.com slash locked on, you'll get $50 off your first month of ED treatment if you need it. Plus that free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash locked on. And just as everyone predicted, the Chicago Bears are now leading the NFC North. It really is 2020. Who would have thought? Joining me now, host of Locked on Bears, Lauren Cox, to discuss uh, another Chicago win that seemed like it wasn't going to happen right up until it did. And that sort of feels like the anthem of the 2020 Chicago Bears. It didn't seem like it was going to happen right up until it did. Yeah, it's a team that just kind of makes it work, right? They kind of just pull everything out when they absolutely have to. I mean, a lot of back and forth with the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, but still uh, still not a team that feels like a dominant 5-1 and one team necessarily. That I think it's, it's a team that's ripe for regression at some point, but it's a question of whether that regression happens this season or next season. Yeah, that's always the thing. Ben Baldwin wrote a great piece last year about the Seahawks. And he was like, yeah, it's probably the case that they're getting crazy lucky with all of these close games, but it doesn't matter. They're going to the playoffs. So all you have to do is sort of get lucky and hope in the in the postseason you can win a game or two that maybe you shouldn't. And you have to feel like the Bears have built some some toughness and some resiliency here along the way of being able to overcome adversity and feel like even when they're down 16 in the fourth quarter with however many minutes left, because they've been able to do it before this season, there's not going to be that doubt. There's going to be that certain level of confidence that, hey, we did this in week one and we did this in week three and we've done this in so many different times this season that there's never going to be a time when they really count themselves out as opposed to teams on the other side of the spectrum. Like you think about the Falcons and the Lions and others that have like built all these big leads and continue to kind of doubt themselves even when they're ahead. feels like the Bears find themselves weirdly on the opposite side of the spectrum. Speaking of on the other side of the spectrum, um, obviously they've banked these wins. All of those things count. On the other hand, the schedule coming up is diabolical. They go at L.A., home for New Orleans, at Tennessee, home for Minnesota, at Green Bay. That's their that's their next five. I mean, that is an absolute murderer's row of teams. Depending on how you feel about the Vikings, it's still a division game. You know, the close of the season is not quite as hard, but they still do have Green Bay twice. They've got Minnesota twice. Uh, the Lions might have gotten some things going here on Sunday. So, I mean, this is still a team that's going to have to play decent down the stretch to get to 9-7, and 10-6 and six because the schedule really is brutal. Yeah, and we're starting to see the team... You know, like the more of these wins they rack up, the more you start to kind of believe some of it. You know, it's, it's not like it's been impressive wins over great teams, but you feel like they're a little bit battle tested. You know, with the Buccaneers, they beat on Thursday Night Football. The week before that was the Indianapolis Colts, which are two of the best defenses in the NFL. The Bears able to kind of hold their own there. And even the Panthers coming into this week were a hot team, a team that was starting to put some things together. And it felt like sure. those were all teams. Those, those were all teams that if. 
if the Bears are legit, they need to win those games. They, they need to show that they are the better team in those games. And maybe they didn't prove to be the better team for a full four quarters, but a win's a win. So, it's, you know, I can't necessarily count them out against the Rams, the Saints. I mean, the Titans are still undefeated, but even they looked a little bit uh, vulnerable and beatable against the Texans. So it's it's going to be tough. But if they can kind of get through that stretch, you could see where a lighter second half of the season there can ramp them up to the playoffs. If they're able to kind of survive this stretch, then they might be sitting in a pretty good spot entering wildcard weekend. Why is every good Bears team look like this? Why, like, <laughs> isn't this just every Bears team that's ever existed that's going in the playoffs? It's looked exactly like this team. It's because, well, it's good defense. It's bad offensive line play, and it's inconsistent <laughs> quarterback play. I mean, wash, rinse, repeat. Doesn't matter if it's yeah, copy paste. Smith, if it's John Fox, if it's Matt Nagy. Maybe not quite Mark Trestman, but, you know, the, the modern Chicago Bears era, even probably dating back to 1985, if we're being honest with you, looks very similar. And I I wish I had a good answer for you. I mean, they do prioritize spending money on defense. That has long been a franchise thing. They pay a lot of money for Khalil Mack. You know, before that, all the stars they've had on defense, they signed Jabril Peppers. Or, I mean, Julius Peppers, excuse me, as to that big contract way back in the day. They spend on defense and offense, even with an offensive head coach like Matt Nagy, it's sort of like, well – you're the genius. You figure it out and we'll bolster the defense on the other side. So then, you know, you talk about being battle tested and they're going to bank a lot of these wins. I mean, they're they're basically a lock to get to nine wins, which could be enough in the NFC. They could certainly get to 10 or 11. Uh, are they there is the ceiling? This is something we talked about when we talked about the Buccaneers. Is their ceiling good enough to compete with some of these teams? I mean, if they're in the two seven matchup with the Seahawks, that's going to be tough. If they're in the, you know, the four five matchup with the Eagles, maybe that's a little bit different. Yeah. It, the ceiling I think is there, but ceiling is something we haven't really seen yet. We haven't seen them come super close to that. They haven't been able to do it for four quarters. So like, no, I don't have confidence in this team right now where they stand to beat a team like Seattle in a playoff type environment. But we've seen Nick Foles play just a completely different level of football in the playoffs in a couple different times with the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is still a Bears team that feels like it's beating itself in a lot of ways, just a lot of sloppy mistakes, some some clock management issues from Matt Nagy, some penalties all over the place, and just a quarterback still getting on the same page with some of his receivers. So like it feels like if they can clean some of that stuff up and get everybody a little bit more on the same page and stay healthy, that the the pieces and the formula is sort of there to be able to potentially compete with some of these better teams. But there's a lot of ifs there, and there's a lot of wishful thinking to have that all come together to reach that ceiling. But I think there's the, the pieces are there that if if that all worked out, you could you could stay in stay in a game with a team like Seattle or some of these better teams in the NFC. Well, and and we saw on Sunday with the Packers and and what Tampa Bay was able to do to them. If you can if you can stop the run and pressure Aaron Rodgers, which the Bears have shown that they can over the last few years, even when they were, you know, losing games last year, they played two really close games with Green Bay games that came down to really the final play. It, it probably is heartening in a way to see that the style that you need to play to beat the Packers, the Bears are, in a way at least, ideally suited to play. Yeah, it's all eyes really on this Bears offense at this point. I mean, we yeah. everybody knows, like you said, it's, it always looks the same way. Bears defense is solid. It can, it can stop the run. It can get after the quarterback. They, they create turnovers. But 
Nick Foles has to be consistent. He threw a couple of questionable throws, one of which was picked off uh, against the Carolina Panthers, and Bears still can't get a running game going all that consistently. It took a while to do it against the Panthers defense. That's one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. And then some receiver mistakes here and there. They don't have a lot of guys consistent, not named Allen Robinson. So it, the formula is there, right? But it's it's going to take some more from that offense to kind of keep up with some of these higher scoring, high flying quarterbacks, especially in the NFC. Well, we'll see what they can get out of Rex. I'm Jake, uh, Nick Foles uh, coming up here in the postseason. <laughs> Lauren, I appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> Anytime, Peter. Thanks. The Pittsburgh Steelers take care of the Cleveland Browns 38-7 in a game that was billed in a lot of ways as a prove-it game. The Pittsburgh Steelers absolutely did that, solidifying their place, not just in the AFC, but maybe in the NFL as one of the best teams in football. Joining me now, Chris Carter uh, from Locked On Steelers. And Chris, uh, I think the most obvious question here is... Are the Pittsburgh Steelers the most complete team in football? Because based on what we saw Sunday and, and what we've seen so far this season, to my eyes at least, they look it. Making a case to be among, you know in that in that conversation, when you look at how the Steelers are winning, there's no one way how they do it anymore. It's, it's not Antonio Brown saving the day. It's not Le'Veon Bell trucking his way. It's the Steelers finding different players every week to step up in big games, whether it's you know, this is the first time, this is the first game Chase Claypool ended up leading the team with 70 yards receiving, 74 yards receiving. This is the first time that a, a player who has led a game in receiving in a previous game has done it again for a second time. Every other game up to this game was featuring a different receiver as the leading target guy. And still, even with that, James Washington caught, caught four passes for 68 yards and a touchdown. Judas Schuster was barely even in, you know, in considering the game. He was targeted four times. You think that he's the guy that they, the Steelers would go after, but they've shown you time and time again offensively, they can get it done a variety of ways. James Conner had another 100-yard rushing day, had another touchdown in a game. Uh, they find different ways to beat you, and the defense still finds ways to bring pressure. I mean, you know, everyone's been, been ready to talk about uh, T.J. Watt and everything, but Bud Dupree gets two sacks in the game. Uh, the, the Browns really didn't have any answers for him. And in Menkoop is Patrick getting his pick six after he had no pass defense, no interceptions through for the first four games. A lot of people were saying, hey, why doesn't he have more stats? Well, because teams weren't targeting him. And now here he is. He gets targeted by Baker Mayfield. He takes it back for an interception return for a touchdown. Um, they just have so many ways to beat you. I don't know if they're the number one team in the NFL, but they deserve to be in the conversation now that they're 5-0 and and a dominating performance over the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and the Cleveland Browns had, you know, they've been running over teams. Yeah. Uh, and, and they've been creating big plays. And I know they came into the, the game bagged up, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham. You know, you don't have your your best players at 100%, but this is football, right? I mean, no one is 100%. Every team has to deal with injuries. And, and so there's really just no excuse. I, uh, to me, this is one of the most impressive performances anyone has put on tape this season. And we knew last year, right, that the defense – could carry this team. They they won a bunch of games last year with their defense and Duck Hodges. But now they've got Big Ben back. You add Chase Claypool, who might be the rookie of the year, and all of a sudden this team can, as you said, beat you in so many different ways. However you want to try and defend them, however you, ways you want to attack them, it feels like they have answers right now. It's so funny that you bring up, you know, teams not being able to get excuses with the Browns and their injuries. Because I remember last year in November when the Steelers lost to the Browns 
in Cleveland with Mason Rudolph. Everyone, I saw so many conversations about how the Steelers were done. They were finished. They were never going to be the same again. They lost to the Browns. And but everyone seemed to overlook the fact that the franchise quarterback, who's won two Super Bowls in his career, was out for the year. And that was completely overlooked. And now we're talking about in the flip side, you know, you know, people wanted to say, oh, well, there's this injury. There's that injury. You're absolutely right. Excuses have never been a, a thing for the Steelers, and they shouldn't be a thing for their opponents. And when you look at that ground game, Kareem Hunt, who was looking good through, through the first five games for the Browns, 13 carries, really yards, 3.1 yards per carry. They took him out of the game, and they forced Baker Mayfield to beat them. And to me, what was even more a slap in the face to the Browns was something that they did themselves. They took Baker Mayfield, Odo Beckham Jr., and Miles Garrett out with te- over more than 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That was like in college <laughs> yeah. football when you're like, hey, we lost. Just call off your dogs. Please don't run up the score anymore. They threw up the white flag, Peter. That's insulting. And to me, if this is supposed to be the different year of the Browns, Peter, they haven't won at Heinz Field since 2003 when Tommy Maddox was quarterback. There are 13 Western Pennsylvania <laughs> high school football teams with more wins at Heinz Field. And Peter – for a high school football team to win a Heinz Field, they have to play an entire season, go th- win an entire series of playoff games to get to a championship game, to get one chance to play at Heinz Field in a season. The Browns do it every year because it's mandatory, and they have less wins than more than 13 high school football teams. It, this was – this was I, I was interested to see the Browns put up a big fight in this game. They didn't. They were slapped around, and that's – it's disappointing because, because as good as the AFC North has looked – through the first five weeks of the NFL, it kind of just seems like it's just the Ravens and the Steelers, as we've assumed it's been for a long time. Get fired up, Chris. I love it. I love it. Absolutely great. I, I, I look at them and I think, why not them? Why can't they be the team that takes down the Ravens? Why can't they be the team to take down the Kansas City Chiefs? To me, of any team in the AFC right now, they're, they are the the scariest because of what that defense, that pass rush uh, can do. Chris, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Peter. Before we finish up, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They've got six new flavors to add to their already stacked lineup. Add cookies and cream, caramel brownie, apple almonds crisp to a lineup that already includes peanut butter, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, coconut, peanut butter brownie. These are all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and it seems great, right? Yeah, they taste like candy. But they're not. In fact, they're low in calories, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. So it's all the flavor, all the sweet treat that you want, none of the guilt. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off at BuiltBar.com. One of the few marquee matchups this weekend pitted the NFC West California teams, the LA Rams against the San Francisco 49ers in a game that the 49ers really desperately needed to win. And they got that victory 24 to 16 over the LA Rams, putting an ugly loss to the Dolphins last week in the rearview mirror. And I think reestablishing them as a very dangerous team in the NFC. Joining me now, host of Locked On 49ers and Peacock and Williamson, Brian Peacock. And Brian. As I mentioned, this was a game San Francisco really needed. What was the key to them looking really like their old selves in this game? 
number one thing that I take away from this game is Kyle Shanahan called his best game of the season. And last week after the Dolphins game, when uh, when I do my reaction podcast for Monday mornings, I give out some game balls. And I gave a game ball out to Brian Flores, the coach of the Miami Dolphins, and said that Kyle Shanahan got completely outcoached in the game in week five. And I think um, he either listens to the podcast or uh, knew that <laughs> himself and really flipped the script this week. And uh-huh. uh and, and I could think be he both. Could be both. McVay in this one, and really did everything that the 49ers could do to maximize the talent they have on offense, to keep Aaron Donald out of the game as much as possible, and attack the edges and keep the ball out of the middle of the field there, and uh, essentially turned the passing game into an extension of the running game. And uh, it's pretty amazing to see how Jimmy Garoppolo's statistics look: twenty-three of thirty-three, two hundred sixty-eight yards, three touchdown passes. At least 200 of those yards were after the catch in that game. It was pretty amazing. And so utilizing his talent, I think, was the number one key there and really helping out his offensive line. And the offensive line, who hasn't, haven't played well for the 49ers at all, played a really good game, zero sacks. So I think those were the keys of the game because the offense finally helped out the defense, which hadn't been the case this year so far for the 49ers. Yeah, and one of the things that struck me, you go back and look at that first drive, it was the Debo drive. And it was... Don't make Jimmy have to make reads and figure things out and decipher and step into throws and make the offensive line protect. No, no. We're going to run the shovels. We're going to run the jets. We're going to run the end arounds and just find ways to get Debo the ball and let him create. And it seemed to to give a little bit of confidence to this whole group to just say, yeah, 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 that's right. This is who we are and this is who we can be. And they ran a they ran the same kind of thing. They ran that little shovel to seal the game on third and seven. And he just fights to pick up those yards. It really feels like getting him back could be the key to a second half run here. Yeah, they kept going back to it. And it's funny because I kept looking at the box score and I kept going back to Debo Samuel and looking at the rushing stats. And he only had one carry in the game. It's like, oh yeah, those are actually passes right. and they have to go back then. <laughs> Receiving, uh, you know, six uh, six catches. He averaged eleven yards per reception. A lot of those were rushes, though. And yeah. I bet uh, his average depth of target is like minus two. Oh, the 49ers' depth of target that game was insane. It hasn't been it hasn't been something that's they've been targeting uh, receivers down the field at all this year. And this game was even less than the normal. It's it's pretty amazing. But that's the talent that they've drafted, and and those are the types of players that Kyle Shanahan likes. He likes scheming guys open and letting them run after the catch, so that's why he targeted Debo Samuel in the draft. That's why he targeted Brandon Ayuk and traded up for him, uh, even though Ayuk wasn't a huge factor in this game. I did catch a, a touchdown pass on a little hitch who was just sitting in his zone in the end zone. But um, yeah, uh, he, he maximized his talent, and he allowed his playmakers to make plays after the catch. And and, and Jimmy Garoppolo is obviously still not 100%, can't step into his throws. You mentioned that. I think that's really important. Um, and so keeping the pass rush off of Jimmy G, letting that offense operate with the athletes that they have was, was so huge in this game. And the defense really has played so well for the 49ers this year. They've kept them in just about every single game, even though they've missed so many pieces. And um, I think Jason Verrett's got to be earning himself some comeback player of the year votes with the way he's breaking on the ball like he used to back in, in 2015 when we saw him when he was first drafted and even back to his TCU days. I mean, that's really awesome to see for the 49ers defense. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I, I think this is as close as we've seen them play to what they were last year to hold this Rams offense, which had just been stomping on teams for the most part this season. I mean, they had nine officially nine passes defensed. I mean, that might be three games for some teams 
they competed right. so hard against what is a very talented skill group, and that's without Richard Sherman and and without Nick Bosa, who who helps create pressure. They're still trying to figure out what's going on up front. You know, they have all of those injuries. D Ford, they're working Javon Kinlaw in there with no DeForest Buckner. Obviously, he's in Indianapolis. They're they're having to figure out on the fly what they are, and it seems like they're hitting their stride a little bit with what their identity can be with this secondary. And they still have some first round talent up front on the defensive line, but it, Goff had plenty of time to throw, and and yep. it wasn't like they were getting after the quarterback like they did with their formula all last year. They were covering people on the back end, mm-hmm. and, and that that was pretty amazing to see how how long those guys were covering and that's without Richard Sherman out there. So uh, props to both Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley that they did score the late touchdown on Mosley, but he did a really good job. And it's just, it's so clear when you see them uh, with a couple of starting caliber players out there versus what they had going on last week in an experiment with Brian Allen that did not work well for the 49ers defense. And uh, they've got enough to hold their heads above water, get everybody a little bit healthier. They're not, they're not going to get Debo or they're not going to get Nick Bosa back this year, but they're going to have everybody else pretty well healthy. So they still have an opportunity to make a run. And we kind of did get a glimpse of that 49ers team. The problem for them, their schedule is at new England at Seattle home for the Packers at new Orleans at LA home for the bills over the, over the next month and a half, and that is an absolutely brutal stretch for a team that's already three and three. But we've seen what they can be. We've seen that that they're able to uh, manufacture what they need to manufacture. So uh, I, I think they're still a very dangerous team in the NFC. Brian, I appreciate it. Hey, anytime. Pleasure, Peter. All right, Ross Jackson and Luke Braun taking you home on a Tuesday, and much more coming the rest of the week to get you set for week seven in the NFL. We were able to get all the games in so far and two Monday night games coming at you tonight. Of course, the guys will be here tomorrow to break that all down for you. It's a big game, at least one. Cowboys, Cardinals, not so much. But of course, Chiefs, Bills is a huge game in the AFC and has serious playoff implications. Hopefully it's better than most of the games we saw on Sunday. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast network on Twitter at Locked on NFL Pods. Subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on NFL. So until tomorrow and next week with me, stay Locked on NFL. Locked on NFL.